From sunny Portland, Oregon, welcome to episode 29 of The Jared White Show, recorded April 23rd, 2019. I'm your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. It's movie time, folks. Yes, my friends, I am very, very excited. I'm on the edge of my seat. I can't wait. Of course, I'm talking about The Avengers. Avengers Endgame is coming. We're just a couple days away. And, well, I didn't secure tickets on opening night. Uh, I actually (laughs) spent quite some time looking at multiple theaters and multiple times over the entire weekend and uh, finally managed to get a not-super-horrible seat very early this coming Sunday. So I will have to get up bright and early and head out to the theater to see Avengers Endgame. I'm super pumped about that. Uh, I was actually watching the original Avengers the other day. I hadn't seen it in really a long time. In fact, I'm trying to remember. I may have only seen it once, which I know to some of you that might sound crazy because you've probably seen all of the Marvel movies multiple times. And uh, hats off to you if you have. But I had only seen the original Avengers once. Um, I actually, it's taken me a long time to become sort of a Avengers fan. Uh, I'd seen the original one and thought it was okay. And uh, I was more into the standalone Marvel movies. I tend to like single character focused stories. Uh, when the second Avengers movie came out, I didn't even see it. I actually only saw that one very recently. Uh, in fact, I. I believe I watched it after I saw Infinity War in the theaters. So I've, I've totally watched everything out of order. Um, I love Captain America Civil War. It's one of my favorite Marvel movies of all time. And that's kind of like Avengers 2.5. Um, you could almost say that movie is what made me a believer. Civil War made me a believer in the Avengers as a concept. And I think that was really because of what the Russo brothers brought to it. Uh, I love uh, Winter Soldier. That's their movie as well. I think I think the Russo brothers' take on the Avengers is best. I mean, you know, great job that Joss Whedon did with the first Avengers movie. You know, he really brought that whole concept together and did a good job, set the tone for what an Avengers movie should be. Um, but I think the Russo brothers the way they're able to juggle so many different personalities and so many different characters and everyone feels so distinct and yet somehow it all ties together. Uh, it's just unparalleled what they're doing. I uh, really love Infinity War, so I can't wait to see what they do with Endgame and how it ties all these loose threads of story, not just from the Avengers movies, but from all of the Marvel movies to date, how it ties everything together. I just can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Speaking of movies, I saw The Matrix. The Matrix, yes, from 1999. I saw that in the theater last night. Local Portland Theater was playing it. It's the 20th anniversary of the movie this year. Yeah, it's been 20 years. (laughs) Can you believe it? 20 years, 1999 to 2019. So uh, so you can maybe find it in a theater near you. Uh, There's a lot of uh, commentary out there about... Uh, what the Matrix means as a phenomenon 20 years later. 
Um, I have a few thoughts about it, and I'm going to record them shortly for a special Patreon segment. So if you are a member of my Patreon subscription, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash essentiallifejared and sign up for that or uh, log in, and then you will be able to hear my special review, uh, my thoughts on The Matrix 20 years later. And also, having never seen the original in the theaters, I saw the sequels when they came out in the theaters, but not the original. Seeing it in the theater was pretty special. Uh, So I'll talk about that in that special bonus episode on my Patreon. So this episode's going to be a little different than in the past. Uh, I'm not going to have a link segment. I'm going to have two meta segments, two different ones. And I know that sounds a little crazy, but uh, I had a couple big topics I want to talk about. So let's just dive right in. And the first topic is what Instagram gets right. I've been thinking about this a lot, uh, you know, looking at other services such as Flickr, the federated photo sharing network PixelFed. Uh, there's a new project from Tim Smith called Boca, which uh, is under development, and it's sort of a, uh, a private uh, user uh, respecting service that uh, I guess will be a paid service or something like that. But um, it's sort of an alternative to Instagram for people that mainly want to share photos privately with people they know and trust. Uh, anyway, I just looking at some different services that are existing or in development and trying to figure out, you know, what what it is about Instagram that makes Instagram special and how these other services can learn from Instagram. Not not just blindly copy Instagram, but, you know, things that they can do to learn about what makes Instagram tick so that, uh, you know, they can offer a compelling alternative. So I'll start with the big thing here, hashtags. Now, hashtags are originally a concept that uh, got big on Twitter. The Twitter community kind of came up with the hashtag concept uh, independently of the company. Like Twitter, the company didn't invent the hashtag. Uh, In fact, Twitter, the company has hardly invented anything useful. (laughs) Sorry to throw shade on you, Jack, but... uh, Twitter has stumbled along in spite of its user base, not because of its user base in many ways. And this is just one of the ways that the Twitter community came up with the hashtag as a way of sort of being able to to group posts together around various topics. Uh, became a really powerful idea. And then Instagram shamelessly copied the idea. Uh, however, Instagram has innovated on the whole hashtag concept in a number of ways, which I feel are actually really quite powerful. Uh, So the first is around discovery, around browsing. It's really easy to browse through photos via hashtag on Instagram. I mean, you can just look up any hashtag. You can tap on a hashtag from a photo you're looking at, uh, and you just get this beautiful display of photos of that hashtag. And there's some different ways you can filter things. You know, you can kind of look at what, what are the hottest photos in that hashtag or what are the newest photos and different things of that nature. Um, it's really easy to browse through hashtags and you can, you know, you can kind of get into this rhythm where you look through different hashtags, uh, one after another and, and then decide which ones are, are, you know, producing the most meaningful content for you. And that brings me to my second point here, which is that you can follow hashtags. I think this is genius. This is so cool. And it's one of the reasons why, even though I deleted Instagram off my iPhone, 
I might bring it back. I know I'm backsliding. I every day, <laughs> last few days since I got rid of Instagram on my iPhone, uh, I kind of have this little voice in the back of my head saying like, "Dang, I I miss Instagram. Can't we just put it back? Can't we just get it back here, please?" And I, I know they actually have a pretty decent mobile website. In fact, it's surprisingly good. So I could just use Instagram from Safari on my iPhone. Uh, it really isn't that bad. Um, but, you know, it's it's a little bit faster and more streamlined to use the native app. Um, I love following hashtags because then when you go to your feed, you're not just seeing photos from the people you follow directly, but you're seeing photos from the hashtags. And it's a great way to find new photographers, to find new people. You know, you see a cool photo and it's tags, you know, Oregon Explored or Windy City for Chicago photos or like all kinds of other hashtags you can find. And you can, you know, find a photo you like through that hashtag and go, oh, hey, this is a cool photographer. I like all their stuff. I'm going to follow them. Um, and that's, you know, that's basically how everyone promotes themselves on Instagram is they post photos and then load that up with hashtags. And hopefully, you know, the more people uh, like that photo or interact with it in some way, it, it boosts it within that hashtag. Third thing I like about hashtags on Instagram is the recommended hashtags. Uh, so there's a few different ways this works. The, the main way I've seen is that uh, if you've liked a number of photos that have a hashtag you don't follow, Instagram will recommend you follow it. So, you know, if I've liked a bunch of Windy City photos, uh, Instagram might recommend, you know, Chicago or, you know, skyscrapers in Chicago or I don't know, whatever, whatever the hashtag is that is similar because, you know, typically photos are tagged with a whole bunch of hashtags. You might find like 30 hashtags for one photo. So Instagram will kind of connect the dots and say, hey, you've liked some photos with this hashtag. Why don't you check out this other hashtag? Uh, and sometimes it's just a ton of overlap and you don't really need to bother. But sometimes it's interesting. Sometimes it's useful. Um, so the discovery of hashtags and browsing through those hashtags, following hashtags, and then getting recommended hashtags. I think all of these features are truly awesome. And honestly, it's going to be hard for me to use any other photo service seriously that doesn't have similar features to these. So th this is sort of the baseline, in my opinion. If you're going to compete with Instagram, you have to solve these problems in some way. You know, maybe not copy it directly, maybe come up with a, a different mechanism you know, Flickr, for example, for for the longest time has had groups. You could join different groups and then people can post photos in those groups. It's in some ways like how hashtags work on Instagram, but in some ways not. So one thing I'd love to see Flickr do as it evolves in this new, under its new smug mug ownership, one thing I'd love to see is for them to take their groups concept and sort of push it more in the hashtag direction. I don't think they'd have to do a lot, really. Like, not a whole lot of engineering time would be necessary to to make groups function a little bit more like how hashtags function. And then it would just make it, you know, even better to, to follow topics you're interested in, find people who post photos within those sorts of topics. All right, that's it for hashtags. Next up, I'd like to talk to you about this idea I call profile bling. Now, I actually don't think Instagram does the best job of this. I think they could do better. But any other service out there is definitely going to have to do a good job at this. And 
hopefully one-up Instagram, uh, being able to add bling to your profile. Now, the, the way that a lot of people do this on Instagram is through uh, stories. You can basically create stories and pin them to your profile. I don't know if that's the exact terminology because I'm actually not a fan of stories at all. Uh, another topic for another time, maybe. Uh, but you can you know, take these different stories that you've recorded and turn them into things that you can tap on a profile. So if you look at a lot of big profiles on Instagram, you know, they'll have a, if, if when you go to their profile, you'll see like a whole row of these little circles that you can tap on to get, you know, these sort of advertisee sort of things talking about, you know, what this person's been doing lately and what they're trying to promote and why you should follow them and so forth. Um, and so you can, you can really bling it up. People get really creative with the description as well profile description you know they add emojis and weird like fake fonts with unicode symbols and all kinds of stuff um and so you know clearly people want to trick out their profiles and they've found all kinds of either official or hacky ways to do it uh so if you're going to compete with instagram you know i would i would really focus on profiles like i would i would probably not focus on some other features that sound obvious like i honestly don't think like having a bunch of photo filters within your app are that important anymore. Like that was a big thing back in the day with Instagram. But I think a lot of people, you know, use a whole variety of photo apps to, to you know, get a look they want. You know, and they kind of, you know, have presets and different things to get just the look they want. They're not necessarily, you know, using a default filter in Instagram or whatever. Um, so, you know, if, if you're trying to compete with Instagram, like, don't focus on the filters. I, I think that's kind of wasting your time. Focus on profiles. Let people trick out the profiles. Let them add all kinds of extra stuff. Let them add all kinds of extra photos and widgets and clickable things and customized fonts or whatever the heck. Like have Just have total bling bling tricked out profiles on your service. I think that's going to go a long way in getting people excited about promoting that profile and getting themselves out there. I would really recommend uh, focusing on that. In case anyone's listening, hello, Flickr or PixelFed, whoever. <laughs> I don't know. Just let those profiles look absolutely fantastic. I think it's going to be a big thing. Um, and the last thing here is, I know we're talking about photo services, but when you talk about photos, you really have to talk about video as well because the two are so intertwined these days. It's it's kind of inconceivable, I think, at this point to have a portfolio of photos that don't also include videos if you're trying to promote anything. Because, you know, we're all walking around with smartphones in our pockets that can take not only great photos, but can record great videos as well. All the DSLRs out there, all the mirrorless cameras, they're all dual photo and video capture machines. So a lot of people will, will you know, focus mainly on photos, but do some video. Others will actually focus mainly on video and then do some photo. And I think your service should support everything. I think it should treat photos and videos basically the same. It should go to the same feed. It should be as easy to do one or the other. You shouldn't run into compatibility problems or, you know, any meaningful file size limits or duration limits. Uh, this is actually an area where Instagram has to get better. The, the the limitations of video lengths on the feed are super frustrating to me. Uh, it's actually one of the big negatives, in my opinion. Like, I'd be much more willing to put video content on Instagram rather than YouTube 
uh, if it were easier to do, you know, several minute long videos, it doesn't have to be crazy. Like, you know, if you have a limit at, say, you know, 10 minutes or, or 15 minutes or whatever, I think that's fine. But having a limit of, you know, I don't know, a minute or a couple minutes or something is just bonkers to me. Uh, so I think you need to, as a, as a service, not just be a photo service, but a video service and treat both basically the same in terms of, you know, making it easy to post and making it easy to consume and have all the same kind of features that you have, you know, let videos be part of hashtags, allow videos to be attached to profiles for that extra bling bling, you know, whatever, just make it just another content type in your service and have it all work seamlessly. That's my recommendation. So to recap, if you want to compete with Instagram, I think you need to rock the hashtags, rock the profile bling, and let those videos be awesome. And I think if you have those three things down, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make it a much more compelling service. Interesting side note, uh, there's a story in The Atlantic the other day about how a bunch of memers on Instagram are forming a union. Uh, you know, people that post memes, you know, those sort of uh, joke pictures with like funny captions or, you know, taking some scene of a movie and putting funny uh, words overlaid or whatever, you know, we all know what memes are. Uh, there's a lot of people that post memes on Instagram, apparently. I actually haven't really gotten into this community on Instagram. I mainly see memes on Reddit. Reddit's the the meme place for me. Uh, but I guess there are a lot of memers on Instagram now, uh, and they feel like they're adding a lot of value to the platform and not getting a lot of value out of it. So part of this effort to unionize is to be able to, you know, present more of a united front to Instagram, the company, to, uh, you know, demand more, I don't know, features or monetary compensation or something. I don't know. Uh, but it was an interesting story. You can check out that link in the show notes. All right, folks, that wraps up the first meta segment. And now we're on to the second meta segment of the day. And I would like to talk to you about the iPad. I've been thinking a lot about the evolution of the iPad lately. As we look to the future, the future of iOS on the iPad, and as we're using, you know, the latest generation of iPad and iPad Pro, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what the iPad is as a product at this point, where it came from, where it's going. I've been going backwards in time to watch some of the, the videos of when the original iPad came out and when the iPad 2 came out. The iPad 2 actually was a very interesting rollout because uh, when the iPad 2 was announced, the, the original iPad model wasn't even a year old. It was a little less than a year old. And already it had become a, a hugely popular product. Uh, that original iPad sold in great numbers. And so when Apple came out with iPad 2, it, it was, it was, they were in a very interesting position because uh, there was a whole new crop of tablets coming out to the market from Apple competitors. But for the most part, all those tablets were trying to compete with what the original iPad represented. And iPad 2 just blew away the original iPad. It was way faster. It was, it was lighter. It was thinner. Uh, in many ways, the, the, the sort of default form factor we think about now when we think about iPad, you know, the, the sort of iPad Air and iPad Mini form factor, uh, that kind of sleek profile and the little home button at the bottom, uh, that design idea came from what the iPad 2 looked like and what the iPad 2 
brought to the table. And there are a lot of people today who still use iPad 2 devices. That, that one has lasted. It's just really incredible, the staying power the iPad 2 has had. So yeah, I've been watching old YouTube keynotes about the iPad. And uh, there's a link in the show notes to the keynote where uh, it was actually one of Steve Jobs' last appearances. Uh, he uh, introduces the iPad 2. And there's a really great speech towards the end about, you know, sort of laying out the vision of what a post-PC device is and what it can do. I think it's really set the tone for what the iPad is as a product category ever since. So that's a that's a really good speech. I recommend you read it. But uh, one of the interesting things was they, they sort of characterized uh, 2010, the year that the original iPad came out, as the year of the iPad because it was such a popular product out of the gate. And they uh, were trying to push the iPad 2 out in 2011 and make that also the year of the iPad, the year of the iPad 2. And that got me thinking about this year. And I think with the rumors that are coming out now about iOS 13 and what that's going to bring to the iPad, and particularly iPad Pro, I think it might be safe to say that 2019 is going to be the year of the iPad Pro and iOS 13 unlocking the tremendous power, the tremendous hardware prowess of iPad Pro. Uh, we've kind of been waiting for the software shoe to drop. I mean, it's been it's been interesting and a little frustrating, but interesting to see how far the hardware has come for the iPad, particularly iPad Pro. Uh, and we're really at the point now where, where the hardware is way ahead of the software. We're all waiting for the software shoe to drop. You know, we, we've been demanding better hardware for the iPad category, and Apple has delivered. I just think the iPad Pro is... It's the best hardware product you can get from Apple today, in my opinion. I mean, you can get other products that are truly astounding in certain ways. You know, AirPods are really something. The Apple Watch is really something. Uh, But in terms of an overall device that is so perfectly balanced between power and price and capability and versatility and just all these different things, you know, even a sort of a modular focus, like you can get really modular with an iPad Pro in interesting ways. You know, you can kind of uh, take this slate of glass, this this tablet, and add things to it. You can add a keyboard to it. You can add a pencil to it. You can plug in different things with the new USB port, uh, connect all sorts of things wirelessly with it. So the hardware of the iPad now is just outstanding. In fact, a lot of people are saying, <laughs> you know, hey, Apple, why can't we have Mac hardware that's as amazing as iPad hardware? Like, <laughs> this iPad Pro is incredible, and then we get a Mac laptop, and it's meh, and even has a lot of problems. What's, what's the deal here? Uh, so this, this is not something that we're quite used to with the iPad, because when the iPad first came out, the software was pushing the hardware to the limits. In fact, I would say that the original iPad was really underpowered. It was kind of woefully underpowered in some ways. I remember trying to develop some some cool new uh, website technology that could run on the original iPad, and it was just crashing Safari all the time because there was hardly any memory, and you know, multitasking was wasn't even a thing for the iPad for a while. It was just still the sort of one one task at a time model we had with iPhone, and so for for a long time, the software 
was kind of ahead of what the hardware could do. And and they leaped forward, you know, the iPad 2 is a big leap forward, but then they came out the iPad third generation with Retina display, and because of all the new graphic uh, requirements of driving that Retina display, uh, there were a lot of problems with battery life and heat and sluggishness and games and so forth on that third generation. They had to come out with a fourth generation pretty quickly to, to speed things up and also to switch from the 30-pin connector to the lightning connector. Um, then the iPad mini came out, which was cool because it was tiny, so it was this cute little thing, but then that was kind of underpowered in ways because you know of the smaller size. Um, so anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is for the first half, if you will, first half of iPad's history, uh, it seemed like the software kept pushing the limits of what the hardware could do. But now it's the opposite. It's radically the opposite. The iPad Pro hardware is incredible. And even the speeds of the regular iPad, like the new iPad Air, for example, uh, it's really impressive what you can get speed-wise, what the hardware can do. Uh, But the software is lacking. We need software to push the limits push the hardware to its limits. Like, I want to see this huge 12.9-inch iPad Pro in front of me. I want to see it struggle. I want to see it, like, barely able to keep up its frame rate. I want to see it, like, really sweating to handle the incredibly powerful software that's running on it. I just want to drive this thing to its ultimate potential. And, uh, and there's hardly anything out there right now that can do that. So uh, so I'm really looking forward to what is rumored for iOS 13. I hope these rumors come true with like really like sort of a reinvention of multitasking on the iPad, a whole bunch of new features. You know, they're taking a lot of features that we would think are, are Mac features in terms of multitasking and window management and tools and stuff. Uh, it sounds like they're taking a lot of those ideas and sort of reimagining them for the iPad and maybe in some ways uh, reimagining them for both iPad and Mac as part of this unified developer platform we're calling Marzipan. Uh, so I, I think I think uh, there are signs, you know, we can't say for sure, but I definitely think there are signs that this year, 2019, is going to be the year of iPad Pro with iOS 13. And uh, something else that I think is is pointing in that direction is, Where's Photoshop on iPad? <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, that was an announcement. That was way back in the October event last year. And I have a link to that video as well in the show notes if you want to watch the, the introduction of that. Uh, Photoshop on iPad. And now it's been six months later, and we're still waiting for the actual release of Photoshop on the iPad. Uh, and it's quite possible at this point that Adobe is essentially working with Apple to add new stuff to iOS 13 to enable Photoshop on iPad to be all it can be. Uh, so it might require iOS 13, or at the very least, it might, you know, enable, it might unlock a whole bunch of functionality only if you have iOS 13 rather than iOS 12. We'll have to see, but uh, it definitely feels like, you know, if, if, you're, if you're on the fence, if you're holding out, if you're waiting for certain things to happen for you to, to make the iPad Pro an integral part of your daily workflow as a professional, as a creator, uh, I think this is the year for you. I think we're going to see, rolling out in the next few months, uh, a whole slew of, of software updates, software releases from Apple and third parties that's going to transform what's possible on the iPad. Uh, and it's going, to, it's going to bring the software up to snuff and really push the limits of the hardware. 
And I think this is going to be uh, a bit of a turning point moment. I think it'll be the, the final nail in the coffin of the idea that the iPad as a product category is just sort of a novelty, a toy, a mostly a consumption and device, you know, pretending to be a real computer. Uh, I think I think that is going to, I mean, in some ways, that argument is completely just nonsensical at this point, total balderdash. Uh, but there are certain things where, you know, yeah, it, it's still kind of silly. Like, <laughs> why can't I take an external USB drive and plug it into my iPad Pro with its USB port and see that storage show up in files? I mean, Basic stuff like that is still missing, which is so frustrating. But there's so much else you can do. I mean, there's people out there that are editing professional videos and releasing them on YouTube, completely edited on iPad. There are artists doing great stuff. There, there are people, you know, writing albums and set, you know, running DJ rigs and all kinds of stuff through iPads. Uh, so there's so much you can do. But then at the same time, there are certain key limitations that are still frustrating. So I want to see those limitations gone. I don't want there to be limitations. <laughs> uh, again, the hardware is incredible here. We need to push that hardware to its limits. Um, I think that's going to happen this year. Uh, but if the iPad isn't for you, maybe you would prefer to use a pasta PC. Wait, what? <laughs> Okay, I lied. There is a link segment here. There's one link. I have one link for you in the link segment today, and that is all about a PC made out of pasta. I don't know what else to say about this. Just go to the link and read this goofy article and look at the picture. Somebody made a PC out of pasta. It's not literal pasta. It just looks like pasta. They did some crazy thing with with heat guns and plastic and glue and I don't know what, but... They made a PC that looks like lasagna. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So if tablet computing isn't your thing, if you're not into iPads, you want to use something else crazy out there, uh, maybe you can use a pasta PC. Knock your socks off. All right. So that's it for today. That was sort of a strange episode, maybe. But I hope you got something out of it. Uh, talking about what Instagram gets right. Talking about this year being the year of the iPad Pro. And next week, hopefully, I will have seen the Avengers Endgame, and we'll have some comments on that. Spoiler-free review, of course, but uh, I look forward to talking about that more. And don't forget, I will be reviewing The Matrix and my thoughts 20 years later, thinking about uh, how The Matrix has had such an impact on movies and television, on the sci-fi genre. Uh, I'll be... Uh, going into that for my patreon special look for that at patreon.com slash essential life jared you can find out more about this podcast and other things i do at jaredwhite.com all right thanks for listening and i'll see you next time bye Good job.